I be wanting to sing along with that so much. I just walk around my, my house singing it a lot. It's a jingle that I produced. So I'm allowed to like it a little bit. I hope my name is Open Mike Eagle. Welcome to another episode of What It Happened Was. This is season two, episode seven of my season-long sit-down with Mr. LP. In this episode, we are discussing his initial collaboration with Killer Mike. I imagine many of you all might know him from their ongoing collaboration, Run the Jewels. But their collaboration started with a project called Rap Music or R.A.P. Music. I'm used to reading it, not saying it. So I have no idea whether or not you spell it out because uh, it is apparently an acronym, which is a question that as it comes out of my mouth, I realize I should have asked LP, but didn't. But this is their uh, initial collaboration. It came out on William Street. Funny thing about this project is that when he did the release party, I was working with Adult Swim. I was starting to work with Adult Swim at the time. And William Street is uh, the record releasing arm of Adult Swim. So they helped put together the release party for his album in L.A. Um, And I played it and I uh, met Killer Mike that night and it was at a pretty big venue here in L.A. called the Echoplex. It probably fits five to seven hundred people unless my my memory and, and person counting skills are off that night though was probably a cool 150 folks in that place so there was a lot of unintentional social distancing going on um but i bet that is like the last under attended show that killer mike ever played and i doubt that he remembers that night at all um but that's the project that we're talking about today is rap music, R.I.P. music, which is uh, how they met and started working together. And it is the origin of hearing Killer Mike rap over LP beats. Uh, If you guys have been listening this season, you might notice we usually don't do too much current event talk. And part of the reason why, so that our content remains evergreen. And uh, I backlogged, taped a lot of these interviews so that it wouldn't matter when they came out. This one was the first interview that we did that we sat down and had after New Year's Eve of 2020, which is when we all learned collectively of the passing of MF Doom. And MF Doom is a very important artist to me, a very important artist to L. I'd collaborated with Doom a little. Uh, L had known him better and collaborated with him even more uh, so we did take a moment up top just to say a few words about MF Doom. It was a, a really, um, it was a big loss for our scene, a big loss for us as creators. And, um, you know, just L having a really personal connection to the man. We wanted to make sure we took a second, acknowledge that, and, and, and make some spaces. We were all pretty hardcore grieving at the time. But we can go ahead and get into it. My name is Open Mike Eagle. This is what had happened was season two, episode seven on the Stony Island Audio Network. Shout out to the rest of our shows. If you dig these, you should check those out. We are not the only ones with that fly ass jingle. I'm open mic eagle. I've said it three times now. I'm trying to impress it into your brain. Oh, and the t-shirts are all gone. If you missed them, I'm sorry. They went fast as I thought they would. Catch them next time they come back around. 
We'll get back into it in one second, but I need to take a quick moment and shout out our sponsor, DistroKid. Man, so many of my homies use DistroKid. It's a music distribution service that makes distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to put their music on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. A million plus artists, and I swear I know at least 100 of them. And now DistroKid has an app. You can use the app to upload new releases, see your DistroKid bank, and get notified when you've earned royalties you can even check your streaming stats live the distro kid app is now available on ios go to the app store and download it distro kid also has a new feature called instant share that allows you to easily share large files securely with collaborators producers booking agents managers playlist curators and more basically anybody that needs access to your music is an easy way to upload it and send them a link go to distrokid.com slash instant share drag and drop your files to upload and then you can copy and send your link right there it's free to send one gigabyte of files that's like 100 mp3s don't quote me on that Go to distrokid.com slash open mic. That's distrokid.com slash open mic. O-P-E-N-M-I-K-E for 30% off your membership. Let's get into it. R.A.P. Deluxe labor, the underground undertaker The whole cape is independent as fuck flavor Audio exhibit, visit the history To him winning without fucking with the industry And him losing without fucking with the industry No illusion, we tracing every movement in the symphony This is official from lifting of pencils Cold flow the depth jugs up to the fist and the pistol I'm sending questions like infinite missiles Digging for details when stories from the past come up And if he don't remember then he has to shrug It's what the podcast does, what had happened was What up, folks, on the internet, wherever you may be, whatever time of day this is, for you, welcome to another episode of What Had Happened Was um, with our esteemed prisoner, uh, <laughs> the man himself, <laughs> Mr. LP. How you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm all right. I'm all right. Happy That's New Year. All right. All right. It's pretty good. Yeah. Happy New Year indeed, man. Happy, happy New Year indeed. And since... um. Ah, it is the new year. We all uh, ended last year and and went into the new year with some some uh, heavy news for folks that are in and around um, the hip hop scene, especially you know the independent underground movements. We were informed of the passing of uh, Mr. MF Doom, and um, you know he's a he's a artist who probably he probably made my favorite rap music if i'm mm. just sitting here as, as my own human being um just being honest so like it's it's been it's hit me pretty weird like you know mm-hmm. your your favorite the person who makes your you know favorite most inspiring most uh valuable work is like no longer with you it's like yeah. a, 
It's a real, it's a real stunner, man. But uh, how how have you been doing? I don't think you're alone. That one hurt. That right. that you know, finding that out New Year's Eve or right. pre New Year's Eve, and then finding out that he had been gone for several months, which is kind of just exactly as legendary as as as, as, on, as only you know only what I mean? he could like, pull it like that. Only him. <laughs> only he could do only it. him. And there's always a little thought in the back of your head where you're just like, he's like the one dude, and I'm going to just say it because everyone's thinking it. He's like the one dude who I would not, he's the only, he's the only dude I would not be like completely 100% surprised if he just popped back up. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, He's just such a legend. He's just such a mysterious figure. And, and, and he already emerged, you know, as a new person. Yeah. There aren't too many people that have had multiple careers and then, and then gain audiences that people don't even really know that they had something before that. Doom, for me, was Zev Love X. A special appearance by KMD's Zev Love X. A gas face. Can either be a smile or a smirk when a pair's a monkey wrench to work one's clock and when i when i met when i heard the original doom the mf doom shit drop on fondling and obviously bobito was my man and and um Mm -hmm. it was just so fucking raw it was just so raw man and it cracked open we had already basically made uh, Fun Crusher, you know? So it was right around that time. It was right around mm-hmm. that time. And um, it, I mean, it was just it, like never before had I ever seen anybody not only just have like a second name, but also be like a second person, you know? Right. Like this dude had gone through some shit and emerged. He changed. As a mythical character. It go like, I hold mics. Like niggas hold their girls tight, but I ain't out the hub. Probably your accurate pearl white, the hook or not. As many times I'm splitting to be specific, more times and dives in the prison. And when you broke it was so fucking, it was just, it wasn't what you had ever heard from him. And very quickly you were just like, this is a totally different artist. This is a completely different person, you know, uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, no, I'm sad about this. And, 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 um, I hadn't seen Doom, and I think I saw Doom. Last time I saw Doom was in Europe. We played a show together in Europe. Yeah, I don't, I'm a little yeah, speechless, man. man. I'm a little speechless. I hear you, do uh, you know? Because because he is the master of reinvention. Um, in fact, like because the you know the whole the whole thought behind even like this podcast, this show, is to talk to people who've had those different reinventions. Right, right. So he'd always been like the ideal guest, but it's just like, am I really going to be able to nail that dude down? (laughs) (laughs) I never, that's always always my first thought was like, nah, that seems impossible. Um, But you're right, like, to the point where when I got the news too, man, I had to like, I had to send an email to somebody who I know would actually know. Like I needed a confirmation because, right. you know what I'm saying? Because you're like, you're saying like, it, it's not above him. He doesn't, he didn't seem to be above some mass trickeration nah, he was, on that level. He was on some Andy Kaufman shit. Like he was on yeah. some rap Andy Kaufman shit. <laughs> like for sure. I mean, we're, we're talking about a guy who, 
who would send out people in his mask to do yeah, shows. Man. Like, I remember people being mad at it at the time and me understanding, like, okay, I get, I get why you'd be mad, but at the same time, can we just step back here and look? <laughs> you know what I mean? Can we just step back and just assume that it's two or three years have gone by, maybe even a decade has gone by, and you're over, you're hurt, and then can you just look at it historically and just admit that that's that's the illest shit in legendary. the world you know like come on man legendary. like legendary it was immediately legendary <laughs> well yeah i was at i was at one uh, of those shows i was at one in cali uh where it was a doom posture right um and just because i'd seen him once in real life like i knew immediately like oh we got got <laughs> yeah. and it did it did hurt man it was like a new year's eve show out here in la it was like a really really big deal and everybody was pissed um, yeah, and, and you know, I had that moment of like, damn, I'm legit mad at dude for like not thinking that, you know, that we're important to show up for or whatever. Right, right. But this is before I knew the circumstances or before anything. And, and, and I went from being that mad to like, you know, it wasn't too much too long later. I'm right back into, this is my favorite dude. <laughs> you know oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's a severe blow to the, to the music world. That's how I look at it, man. I'm affected and I didn't even really know him like that. I just know him. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I could only imagine that there are some 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 really broken hearts out there. But for the music world it's it is legitimately a huge loss for the writing world. And I don't just mean the rap world, you know, and I don't just mean right. lyric writing. I mean like human writing. <laughs> you know, like the world lost an important writer. That's really real. Ooh, all right, man. Um, so you'll, so we feel free to cut this shit off anytime you want because <laughs> now I'm depressed. The first time I really hung out with Doom was for our video shoot for um, NM Burners Company Flow. Oh shit! Okay. Yeah, he just rolled by, man. He rolled. We were shooting at the Transit Museum in Brooklyn, and he rolled by at like seven in the morning when we had when we all got there. I had reached out, like, you know, we had spoken or something. And I was like, yeah, you should come uh -huh. via this video. And he fucking was there, like, 7 in the morning. We, we, and, and that was the first time. We, huh, he's in that video. A lot of people don't know that, that he's in that video as MF Doom. But it's because you really can't see him. He's so, it's like a mm -hmm. flicker. Like, the dude, he's like kind of hood up and, like, it's a flicker. But he's, he's in that. But, yeah, that was the first time we, we hung out. And I was very blessed to hang out a handful more times throughout our lives. I did some work with him and be, you know, a little bit. He was on one of my beats. This one goes out to my brother Cucumber, who cut it up like a lumberjack do lumber. It's no cover, never. Drink tickets forever. Still, if it's spilled or you make or your sickness lever, my mistake. You kept the walk straight. They open the cake faster than the time the rama takes, comma. Rama who go over where the chorus is at, rama. The flow go calm the morris is cat. So over the years, we just bumped into him. You know, we, it, it was, he was always like, he was always just the friendliest dude and just the nicest guy. And you might catch him doing a piece in Europe, like straight up. You just might, you know, a, na a nasty yeah. piece. Yeah. He was an artist. Well, Much, big up to his memory. Um, yeah. You know, I'll be taking a lot of it going forward, just trying to remember his approach and remember who he was and like really hold on to that. And so I... So I never forget, you know what I'm saying? And and big up to his his family, his 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 uh, you know, his legacy. Just yep. you know, before we got into the subject of the episode, man, I just wanted to take a little bit of time, um, especially given that you 
knew the man to, you know, just say a few words about him. So, you know, re- rest in peace, rest in power, all that good flowery shit. For sure. Um, yeah, man. Um, there is there is a, a slight connection between Doom and the album we're about to talk about, because we're about to talk about the very first time you collaborated with Killer Mike mm-hmm. for an album called R.A.P. Music, which was put together by William Street, um, which is a component or... I don't know how the relationship works business-wise, but I know it's like part of Adult Swim. They have like William Street. Well, really, it was put right? together by Jason DeMarco. He still is at Adult Swim, yeah. and he does Tsunami. He's the reason why cool music is in Adult Swim. Like, 100%. He really just went out and was supporting indie, underground music, all sorts of music. He just had this incredible palette of taste. And me and him became friends. And he would throw me, you know, a couple G's here and there to throw some beats at the shit. And a couple times he saved my ass when I was broke. I mean, after mm-hmm. after um, after the Def Jux thing folded and I would had a little bit of a year of a lean year, let's say. Yeah. Or two. And um, <laughs> <laughs> he saved my ass a few times. Like, yo, Jay, can I just throw some beats at you, man? I'll give you, give me a G a beat. Like, he said that. I'll give you a G a beat. I was like, you know what? <laughs> I am in no position to argue those terms. Like here, and I just threw shit at him, and he would throw him up, you know, put him on the bumps or whatever. But before that, the reason why he was so cool to me is before that we we had done shit with Def Trucks with him. He did the uh, we did the Def Swim compilation with Def Trucks. which was the first sort of musical compilation in, that I think they had done with, uh, and it was a thing between Adult Swim and, and Definitive Jig. We had also done, he had arranged for and hooked up the, um, the Flyantology video for um, I'll, okay. Sleep in, I'll Sleep in Your Dead. You know, he hooked me up with, with the people who did that. And we became friends. Long story short, Mike ended up doing a project with him. He was like, you know, he also was a huge fan of Mike. Mm-hmm. And so he ultimately put us together. He was the one who was like, Yo, you, you know, if you're going to make your America's Most Wanted, you should fuck with this dude. Huh. And, and that's amazing that's how it happened really and and the reason it wasn't it's not like some corporate thing we weren't you know right you know we were just he's just a music head and he he had just all these different connections and he sees music the way that a lot of us see music which is that it's it, whatever you like it all fits in and it doesn't matter how mm-hmm. different those different things are that you like it all fits into this world of shit you like and that, and and therefore is all connected. And there's no reason not to put those pieces together if you can, you know. Um, and that's the way I always approach music. And I know that Jay was thinking the same way. So he he introduced us, suggested that we get together. And this was during a time when I was had gotten a, gotten a, you know finally gotten a, um, some an advance for another record to do Cancer for Cure. So I was already started. I already started Cancer for Cure when I met Mike. Mm-hmm. So you link up with, with Killer Mike. How aware of you were Killer Mike before Jason made the intro? I was aware of him. That's why I got on the plane. Aware? <laughs> yeah. It was interesting because I didn't really, it wasn't up on him until maybe a year or so before we linked up. Like I had just rediscovered him or discovered what he had been doing. Mm-hmm. I knew him the way that most people knew him was just from the Outcast song. I didn't buy his record when it first came out. I kind of flew on it past me. I wasn't I wasn't paying attention at the time. 
his first record, the major label one, uh, Monster. But I did start listening to the Pledge of Allegiance shit because this was like the, you know, I caught on the mic from, it was like blog era, like, nah, right. You know what I mean? And like, I, okay. feel, I feel like okay. I caught on the mic because he was dropping shit and he had that ill picture of him in front of the American flag with the, he had the bandana on and he just looked ill. So when Jay hit me, he was on my radar. I was like, oh yeah, nah, I know this dude, like he's ill. And I was like, okay, I'll go out and do a couple of jams. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Uh, do you, did you have the sense that Mike had been aware of you before that, or was he learning about you as y'all met? He was aware, but like aware because he's a hip hop head. You know what I mean? Like okay. aware because Company Flow made some noise down south in, in that era. Like he knew the name Company Flow. He remembered Company Flow was a thing, and then and then he like really listened to Cannibal Ox. Um, mm. So he was definitely aware he wasn't a student of my music or anything and nor was i of his you know exactly just enough aware to be like yeah okay yeah that dude's ill that was really you know for both of us i think it was interesting to intersect with him we were really in similar places and i think it both it surprised us both as we kind of realized and as we kind of talked more and and even over the years as we've looked back on it, it it surprised us how sort of perfect it was that we met at that moment um just as men we're both exactly the same age apart from i'm a month older than him and we had both kind of gone through some transitional shit and come out on the other end pretty determined and then were introduced and it was like all happening kind of parallel and at the same time and it was this um it was this very like instant kind of recognition with each other like and i think it made us like each other really quickly you know Mm -hmm. What was the first session like? First session was crazy. First of all, it's probably the only time that Mike has ever shown up on time to one of my, <laughs> <laughs> to, to one of my sessions. I think he was just trying to be on his best behavior for the first one. That. That's how he gets you best in. Best foot forward. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like we, we basically just shot the shit for an hour or so in the green room, just talking shit and comparing histories and notes and likes and hates and you know kind of laughing and just cracking jokes and pretty quickly it was a good vibe and then we immediately went downstairs and i started playing the beats and i played him okay big beast i played him untitled and i played him maybe um the beginnings of uh don't die Okay. And uh and I so which you came, I you came in with heat. <laughs> I came I came in with heat. I came in with heat. Or it was actually maybe it was some other shit that didn't make it to the record or something. Um mm-hmm. but the two, the first two that he recorded was Big Beast and Untitled that day. Wow. So That's um, incredible. So I think pretty quickly we were like, Oh shit. We knew that it was it was crazy. Like that day we knew it was just was dope. So we talked about a few of your projects being defined by like you decidedly taking a different approach going into this album. Like Cannibal Ox sounds like this. I'll sleep when you're dead. I want it to sound like this. Fun Crush, I want it to sound like this. So what was what was your thought, or if you had one, a definitive one, going into this album, what you wanted it to sound like? Well, I knew that I wanted it to be pretty warm. By this point in my career, in my life, I have done plenty of records with plenty of different people and learned plenty of lessons about what it means to tune into who they are and try and compliment who they are while inserting something into the process that's something unique that they would never normally get. 
because I'm a fan of music. I'm a fan of Southern music too. And so there was a huge part of me that was excited about getting involved in something where I could reference a little bit of the soul and of the bounce uh. that his scene um, really helped define. I wanted to infuse it with my version of the heart of, of what I felt like the styles of those musics represented and what they were little, you know, little nods to it. So I started Damn, getting, you know, you know, that's crazy. I just, you know, I never, I didn't thought about it that way, but, but now that you say that, like I hear a little Memphis in it, mm -hmm. I hear a little Houston in it, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? And, mm -hmm. and that's, yeah, that's, that's super insightful. It was fun. And it was like, um, it, it, at the same time, I also picked up that Mike, like the obvious thing is that me and Mike were like classic rap fans. Like came up in mm. the same era, even though we weren't in the same state, same region. All the shit that we grew up on was really coming from New York. So Mike was full mm. on most of it. You know what I mean? It's a, you know obviously there were there were exceptions, but in the sense that like someone growing up right now in the South would never have those influences. But Mike growing up in the South at that time and the time that he did. That was where the real obvious bedrock of connection came in musically with me and him. Like, that was obvious. Mm. So I just thought that the right thing to do was to not just make it a New York record, though. You know, I didn't like, you know, if I'm right. doing the shit and I like, it's, I guess, immediately a New York record, you know, um, to some degree. Um, right. If I'm just doing it based on some distillation of my influences by or early or whatever. Yeah. So I just wanted to put a bounce into that shit for my. And it also was fun for me because it was like I was into that shit. <laughs> you know, like yeah. as a, as a producer, I was I was really into the modern shit that was coming out of the South. Too. So I just wanted to make a record that sounded kind of timeless, but also that um, nobody could listen to it in Atlanta and be like, "Why'd you go to New York?" You know, like it had mm. this. I wanted it to feel like it was everybody's record. Damn, that's amazing. So let's let's go back to Big B's for a second. So in the first session. Uh, you play this beat for him. He lays down his verse, and then y'all are leaving spots. I'm guessing for guest verses, but at that point, it seems like there'd be no way to identify exactly who that would be. No, no. So, so what was the story of of putting that together? That was Mike, man. You know, I didn't. Yeah. I, I I knew um, Bun, but Mike is like friends with Bun. I know Bun though, but he set that up. He did the first verse of that shit, and then we did the first verse of Untitled or whatever, uh, maybe even two verses of Untitled, actually. Yeah, no, it wasn't until later that he was like, yo, I'm getting these dudes on the record. And I was like, I bet. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, for me, it was a dream come true, you know, for me, because right. I just love working with people I haven't worked with yet. And I also love giving my spin. The reason why I, dro I dropped my reservations about jumping into it was because I was like, not only is this dude great, and not only is, is the music great, but also it's interesting to me. It's a chance to do something that I haven't done. I know that there are going to be people involved with this that, you know, I haven't had a chance to bring into my world and do what I would do as a, as a producer with them. Given the opportunity to work with people like, you know, T.I. and Bun on the same, you know, on the same record and shit. Like, yeah, it was exciting to me. It was like, great. I've been waiting for this. You know, motherfuckers have been front on me. Like, I should have been... You know, like cat, you know, like I should, you know, like, I, you know, I had something to prove. I was like, yes, give me it. It was cool to um, see it come together. The record's really easy to make. It was a really easy record to make. Huh. Uh, I want to do some weird time machine shit. Yeah. 
I want to, uh, I want to, I want to see what would happen. What, what you think if if I came to you from the future, and I came back to 1999 or 98, and said, "LP, you're gonna make an album for Killer Mike, and there's gonna be a song on it that's got Bun B and Ti." Mm. Like, what do you think your reaction would have been hearing something like that back then? In '98? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the best year. It might have <laughs> been be like Bun like, B and Ti because I wasn't probably even. <laughs> I see. I, see, I, I, I see. I don't know if I was even fully up on that shit. That I think it was in the 2000s that I really got up on. That probably. You're probably you know? right. But but um, to me to me. Um, people ask that about Mike. You know, everyone always acted like the thing with Mike was such a crazy thing until it wasn't, right? But it was like, but at first it was, you know, it was the, we knew that that's how people would look at it. To me, nothing, music is not crazy no matter what. I think that that should just be understood at this point that there shouldn't be any super surprises. There should only be excitement or question marks. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, the, but there shouldn't be surprises. It shouldn't be surprises about like, oh my God, I can't believe that this person is working with this person. It's like in, in 2021, that's a little yeah. antiquated, you know? You know, I get that that was a surprise for people who still had a mind state of what was happening in the 90s or whatever, but <laughs> I feel like the next century really cracked shit open for people. And, and, and you know, for sure. I was aware that it was different. And I also like playing with people's expectations. I know that people mm. look at shit like that. I know that people you know, are constantly under, you know, sort of estimating things or, or, or undervaluing things or, or even just simply just placing a lot of categorization on stuff and, and then not being able to fit it together in their head, which is not, a, I don't mean to come off bitter. That's not what I mean. I don't mean it's like a judgmental thing. I just think it's natural yeah, that, sure. that people just, musicians, it's not weird for us, especially if you're a hip hop musician who spent mm -hmm. your entire life seeking out different samples from different genres and slamming them together right. You've been listening to, to different shit the uh, you know, time. your whole time the whole time it's been the closer you get to the music of hip-hop the closer you get to the music of everything the closer that you get to all the other music that's out there the more obsessive you get about it the more you have you reach out and the more you start to and those things that, that you think could never happen start to not seem so crazy anymore for, for me it was very natural did you have any reservations about, you know, William Street being like a non-traditional label at the time? Like it's, it's not like this is, yeah, just at the, at the time, just with the, with the thought that the label is kind of, it's not a proven home run label. It's, it's like, it's released a couple projects that have gone pretty well, but. No, me, I, I wasn't even involved. Like it was like they, you know, okay. and, and beyond that, I mean, Jay, it was Jay, Jason DeMarco, man. Right. I mean, you know, he's. So yeah, you trust him. So. Trust Jay, of course. And they put out, they, <laughs> they put out Danger Doom and they, and they had a television station at, you know, at their disposal True. to advertise it. And, but beyond that, no, it literally had nothing to do with me, man. I like, they, they came and just hired me. They basically came and said, you know, I think originally it was like, I said, I need, you know, I'm in the middle of a record. I, you know, I could do a couple of jams and then they kept stepping me and kept stepping me, kept stepping me. And, and okay. you know, it was like, they wore me down to a, a smooth nub <laughs> of, of acquiescence. And also I had done my shit D, DIY my whole career. So nah, man, that shit mm -hmm. seemed cool to me, honestly. Where? Yeah. So making, you know, when you, you start to transition into making the whole album, the sound gets shaped He's laying down these incredible verses. Um, 
you jump on as a as a guest first yeah. for one of the joints too. Yeah. Um, did it in any of those early moments start to feel like it had the potential for y'all to be a group or do something going forward? I don't think we thought about that for a while. We quickly were like, oh, I fuck with this dude. He was amped about me, I was amped about him. So I was doing Cancer for Cure at the same, basically simultaneously as I was doing rap music, if you can believe that. So those two sounds <laughs> were happening. Very different worlds. Completely at the same time, basically, um, give or take. So we did Tougher, Colder, Killer on my ship because he was there. The people that end up on my albums to this day are really people that are just in my fucking circumference of, you know, 20 feet. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> people who are around um, and who I'm into and who I have a relationship with at the time. And so he was like, you're, you're going to, you got to do a jam with me. You're going to rap with me. And I was like, yeah, I'll rap with you. I was like, you, you got to do one with me. You got to do one on my album. And that's how that happened. I don't think, I think we just, we, we loved it. We loved the jams. We were like, oh, these are dope. These are hard. Yeah. But I don't think we thought we we're going to do a group that came later. Word. Word. I was reading in a uh, or listening to an interview y'all did around the time the album came out, and you said that you told Mike after like after y'all had finished recording it that you felt like his career was starting like right then with rap music. Um, with rap music, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you know, I think in a lot of ways that's that's borne out to be true. But I'm wondering what it what it was you saw in the first sessions that made you so confident that this was his real, like, real origin point? Well, I don't know if I, I don't remember saying that exactly, but I think that it just, it just felt special, man. It just mm. felt fucking vital. We, we did a lot of talking about what, what it was that he felt like he hadn't done yet, what, what he hadn't, you know, mm. before we did the record, you know? He was like, I want someone to produce me. Even though he was making really dope music, I don't think he felt like he made his statement yet, like, really. Like the one that's mm. going to be the, like, you know, how everyone always wants to have their Illmatic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I don't think he felt like he had his Illmatic yet, if that makes sense. I think that when, I probably said that because when we were doing it, when we were done with it and listening to it, I just think we all just knew that it was special, man. I just think we just felt it. I think, I think to some degree, it really did start his career completely fresh because right. motherfuckers were f definitely fronting on mine. They were not giving him the critical love. He wasn't penetrating like a, the sort of different audiences and people weren't as aware of him. Yeah, definitely, I think, kickstarted a new era for him, you know, for sure. And, and I, was, I was really proud to be a part of that because I think it was just one of those examples of like, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter if you think you're looking for this thing. This thing is here. And, and you know, it was one of those... It was one of those records that you couldn't say anyone had any expectations for. Right. No one was expecting this record. No one was like, oh, I hope it's as good as the last LP <laughs> right. and Killer Mike, you know. <laughs> right. It was just some right. brand new shit that everyone was just like, I think genuinely agreed, like, this is dope. You know, I'm sure there were people who didn't, but it got a really huge reaction. You said a second ago that Mike wanted you to produce him. And that's really interesting to me because I think like in my own journey, I had to learn the difference between what it was for somebody to give me a beat mm -hmm. and somebody to produce me. Yeah. Um, I think it might be interesting for listeners too, if they could, if they could start to understand what that difference is. Well, I don't really give people beats. 
Like you'll notice there's not a lot of LP beats out there floating around. It's not like right. it's not like a bunch of albums where they have like an LP beat on it. And it's not because I'm against it, but it's because it's just not really what I do. I, I get obsessed with making projects from beginning to end. That's been my my personal obsession with music and sound and all that. I think that when you do records like that and you approach records like that, you're really at the ground level of the conception of the record, not only just as the music, but also intellectually and also like in the spirit of it, there's conversation about what's being said. Um, when you establish that as your, as your mode of operation, I think that you start to drift towards producer category. Mm. And now I'm not saying that people who don't, who make beats are, are any less, you know what I mean? Like it's just, right. it's a, and I make beats, but you know, I'm just saying like, creating a project and being there and working through it and understanding the person you're working with and trying to create this whole experience is a different task than sending than you know, than producing a beat for someone. Even if you do that for one jam, it's important, but it's a different thing. And um, I think that Mike, I think that's what he was saying. I think he wanted someone to be there with him really and invested in, uh, uh, you know, from the bottom up. And that's what we did. And that's the, you know, I was there for every word and every moment and we talked about it. You know, I mean, there were things that changed because we talked about it. And I would never say like, oh, I'm a producer. The truth of the matter is, is that there's a whole career I could have <laughs> if I consider myself a producer. If I was in that game, you know, there are producers out there. That's their livelihood. That's their game. Like, that's what they do. They go out and they work with other people constantly. And they move from studio to studio. And I think that's, you know, that's what they're good at. And that's their job. And so I'm not just trying to make, pro like, create projects, create these things that I'm talking about, these sort of experiences. Then I won't, and I probably won't ever be in that category of what you would consider a producer. But I produce the shit out of the records that I work on. <laughs> you know? I did Mike's album because I was doing all the music and it was, it was just as much of a gift to me of his trust. And, and it was exciting to me because it's like, oh, well, then I, I get to express myself here too. I think that was what he hadn't had yet that we were able to do. I mean, we sat in the same room. You know, we sat in my apartment, in a, in a, in a room in my apartment in Brooklyn and did the majority of that record. Okay, so you did, okay, you, the, first, the first couple of sessions were in Atlanta. Yeah. And then most of the rest of it was done in New York. Yeah, he came in New York. He was like, we're going to come to New York for the summer. And him and Shay posted up. It was pre-Airbnb, maybe. I found him like a hmm. shitty little rental. I thought it looked cool, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you know, he posted up real close to where I was. And um, we just kicked it, hung out. And it was in my apartment. My living room was the lounge. And, my, and, the, and the, it was a two-bedroom apartment, one, one that I built. And it was just one of the bedrooms was a studio and it was just a room. The thing about these songs, man, is Mike is just fucking going for it. You going know what I'm saying? And and to me, like it's it's like the only questions that I would able to be have is shit that I already know what you would say. <laughs> like, like cause when I think about a song like Reagan, for instance, right? Like, you know, I, I I'm born in nineteen eighty to fucking black parents that were part of the struggle and shit. And so, like, I felt like I was the kind of person who had this advanced, um, you know, understanding of the evils of a Reagan mm. uh, before, like, mainstream America did. But yeah. still, I found it fucking shocking <laughs> when I heard the song. Because I just, it, as much as I knew that to be the case, I never, like, thought about a rapper just standing on that for a whole song. 
Yeah. And then, like ended it on. I leave you with four words. I'm glad Reagan did. So that line, I'm glad Reagan's dead. I'm taking credit for that because. Oh, okay. <laughs> Mike, Mike, Michael, I hate that I'm even, that I'm even saying this, but if, but I'm only taking partial credit for it. But but because we were talking about that, we were doing that song, and do you remember? Do you remember when Karis once did? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's what you say when you see a double down. Oh yeah, uh, it's this crazy Karis one joint, super hard. At the end of it, he was like, you know what? I'm kind of glad Nixon died. And we were and and, okay. and I've showed him that shit, reminded him of that shit when we were making this jam, and he was like, I was like, yo, this shit reminds me of this. I was like, you should say some something similar to this. Anyway, that's how that. That's how that. You know, I'm glad Reagan's dead. He went. It went from I'm kind of glad <laughs> to I'm. <laughs> that's the and that's and that's the brilliance of Killer Mike. You know what I mean? He's like, we're uh, we're cutting out all of the you know all of the nice fact, things here. I'm a, I'm legitimately glad this person's dead. <laughs> it was an education to me too. Just not that I didn't know that Reagan era was fucked. But it's when I realized that song is when I realized that Mike had a uh, ability to break shit down uh, historically and relate it to what it means for people and what it has meant for people on a street level and on a real level. That's when I realized that he really had that. It's amazing to see someone who who has that political understanding. I mean, Mike has read a lot, uh, obviously, and looked into and studied and been really aware of history and politics you know uh, it's not this impenetrable just here's a bunch of shit that happened it's he's putting himself in it he's putting himself mm -hmm. getting beat up by cops and he's putting a, it's like and you know a man tying his experience just being like a young black child in the 80s to a fucking uh, uh an arms deal and and making it all right. make sense some fucking brilliant shit and the music had to the music had to match it had to feel as sort of ominous and epic then i did i was doing research and i found that um the reagan quote because that's because that's because yeah. when mike started talking about iran contra and i started to go back and remind myself because i remembered it from the first time but i was a kid i had to go back and like look at the history and shit because i didn't remember when reagan had been like well i still don't believe it but they say <laughs> you know apparently Apparently, it's not something you can just lie about. Uh, you know, like, it's, a, it's funny when you think about that now. Like, motherfuckers would never just admit to the truth now. Like, back then, the, you know, Reagan was like, no, it didn't happen. And they were like, sure. They, like, whispered in his, you know, sir, everyone knows it happened. You know, he was just like, uh, all right, so, hey, I don't remember it, but I guess apparently it happened. I had found that, that whole quote on, online. I found that clip and, and, and threw it in there, but it's a, it's a crazy record. I just, I guess I wonder too, and like I said, uh, this is the, these are the type of questions. I already know what the answer is going to be, but I feel compelled to ask them. Uh, you don't know, man. I could say some has, crazy shit. I could just be like. You could. Yeah. I could just say some insulting shit, you know, <laughs> just make fun of you. Um, yeah. I, I'm with it. I'm with it. Yeah. I'm here for it. Yeah. Um, like I just wonder, man, it, has he has he ever said anything on a record and this that you were kind of like a little worried about? Fuck yeah, of course, <laughs> of course, of course. First of all, everyone should know that there's definitely versions of Run the Jewels songs where he just like the first time he went in, it was on some like, 
everyone in the room oh, was shit, like, okay. everyone in the room was like, uh, that was a little hardcore, man. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Mike said something really amazing. One time, I, there was some shit that I had said, and I and, and I forget what it was. And I, I was like, damn, that's pretty fucking real. Like, maybe that's a little too mm-hmm. fucking real. And uh, I was going to change it. And Mike was like, he was like, man, because you have to understand, I come from a world in hip-hop music. My whole career, 90% of my career took place where wasn't that many people listening. It was a good amount right, of people. Right, right. I, had, I had a career and a fan base. But you could get away with saying a lot of fucking shit. And it wasn't mainstream at all. And then, and so Run the Jewels started to pop off and it was like, people are listening. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. it was either that I said some shit or he said some crazy shit. <laughs> and we were arguing about it. We were talking about it like, ah, you don't want to say that. And I forget what it was. And he was like, he was like, man, we need to have real edge, not just fake edge. Mm. And I was like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> I agree. And, uh, and that was that. To me, the second that I decided I was going to stand next to this man and open my mouth was the second that I decided that I had to let this dude be him. I backed this dude. I'm not him. I don't say mm-hmm. everything he says, nor do I think the way that he thinks about everything, but that doesn't matter. I still back him as a fucking person. So mm-hmm. he ends up deciding what he puts out there. And um, sometimes what he puts out there is, I don't know, dangerous. You know, yeah. sometimes he puts danger. It, sometimes it's dangerous. Yeah. If you're ever worried, it's more like just that little voice in the back of your head where you're like, true speakers don't always have the easiest time. You know? Yeah, because it's, it's not, even when I say worried, I don't necessarily mean like, oh, people are not going to like this. No, I never think I of mean, it like, like that. He, right. I mean, either. What, and what I'm, what I'm more thinking about is like, you could be concerned for his safety. Yeah, and I'm standing, you know and I'm saying? standing right What's, next to him. <laughs> exactly, hundred <laughs> percent. But you know, shit, man. Whatever. We're, you know, like <laughs> we're just rappers, man. Like at the end of the fucking day. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, Mike is like one of the. That's one of the reasons why I'm in a group of Mike. It's powerful to hear people say right. some of the shit that he said. Period. Right. For anybody, he became my favorite rapper for for that very reason. Um. In that same, uh, in in one of the interviews I saw, I believe y'all were talking about Untitled, and you said that, like he had freestyled his verse, uh. and you were just sitting there with your mind blown. Yeah. When you say freestyle, like he's coming you off the head. Seen elegance in the form of a black elephant, smoking white wine, no alterities. Will I die slain like my king by a terrorist? Will my woman be Coretta, take my name and cherish it, or will she what just be he, he, and, and, and when he does, I guess he did a lot before, but but I, I think sometimes he just feels it. And so when he got mm. with me, I've barely ever seen him sit right. But he told me that was because of your beat. But so I get the feeling that it was one of those things where sometimes he would sit and right, but most of the time, if he was really stoned and feeling a beat, he would just uh-huh. pace around and think of lines in his head, lay the line down, go back, listen again, and try and lay in the attack. Gotcha, so he gotcha. did this building on thing, but he wasn't sitting there writing or anything. And he was doing that every time we were in the studio. And I was like, in my mind, he never wrote. I have since seen gotcha. him write, which basically just means he doesn't re- he's not really feeling the beat as much as he should be. <laughs> and oh, that's, that's the metric. Mike, when he's in that zone, it's just magic. When he hits it, when he finally... When it, when it all unfolds and it works and, and you know it's it's just magic 
Yeah, that's that, I love. I love hearing that. I love hearing that because I think that you hear him stepping into a, inside a zone on this album. You hear it. You know what I'm saying? You hear him like fucking. It sounds like sometimes he's even surprising himself. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? With some of the shit that 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 he's coming up with and saying, and the energy of that is so fucking live. And hearing that, like, even though that wasn't what was spoken of at the time, like you can hear so much potential in the future of the sound of him going in on your production. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it cracked something open. I think me doing the music and the way that we did it was, like we said, it was like a little bit of a fresh start from, from Mike, for sure. And for me, too. That shit and then followed by Cancer for Cure like a week later was sort of a mm. rebirth for me, you know, in my career. Um, after coming out of this dark period, and really having, you know, not really had anything. Um, and all of a sudden, I was in a situation where I was dropping these two records a week apart from each other. It was the beginning of a new epoch in, mm. my, in my life. It wasn't, there was no, it wasn't planned. I didn't even know that Mike's record was coming out a week before my record. Run the Jewels has been like an exercise in like weird synchronicity since we, mm. since we met. To the point where you could almost feel it working nothing really has can surprise us that much anymore it's just kind of like you know oh word you're putting a record out and the whole world's gonna shut down <laughs> you know right of course right. we're run the jewels you know you start to get to the point where you're like narcissistic about it like we control the world with our weird <laughs> magic um but yeah man so I, I i look at that record as um one of my favorite things that i've produced front to back for sure yeah it's a beautiful thing man and like i said we're gonna talk about like, you know, in, in the remaining episodes, man, we'll talk about this new epoch that kind of started from this time. Um, so I'm glad we got to spend some time with this one. Man. Yeah. I think it, in the context of neither one of y'all went into this expecting to have a career together, it's really fucking powerful to listen to mm. with that context. You know what I'm saying? It's just like the joy of y'all making music together for this project created this whole new thing that still stands to this day. It did. It did, and uh, and and also I think he's just re-released it on vinyl. So if anyone anyone listening, and if you didn't get a chance, now's the time to to, to grab a classic independent record. That's a beautiful thing, man. Yeah, man. I think that's where we'll let this one land. Cool. Um, and we'll you know we'll jump back in next time, and and I think we're gonna talk cancer for cure next. All right, I'll try and gear myself yeah. up, try and think about myself. <laughs> 